girl, welcome back to another episode of Rock That Fitness with Anna Rockstar. Girl, how you doing? I hope you're having a great day. I sure do appreciate that you tune in and listen to my podcast um, in this new year. It's, it's so exciting that we launched this right together back in July, um, the 4th of July, 2022. And we're going strong. Weekly podcasting, you're listening, I'm producing, and we are, we are rocking the pod. I love it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, what else is going on? We are in the, well, no, we just finished um, enrollment for Power 40, the 40-day strength training challenge. Super excited because when this episode drops, we will be starting, kicking off 40 days strength training challenge, giving a whole group of women the opportunity to engage in our strength training app, the Rock That Fitness strength training app, and learn about strength training. And Abby and I are in there um, just, you know, hosting this great challenge for, for all of these women that hopped on board to join us for this 40 days of strength training. And we're excited. And we have beginners, we have intermediates, we even have, I think we have some advanced people in here too. So it's gonna be an exciting 40 days and we're just really looking forward to it. So yeah, hope you're getting your year kicked off well and sticking to your new habits. If you have new habits um, or if you have great old habits, you know, because new year doesn't mean everything has to be new year, right? It could be the same if it's good. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> so anyways, I'm super excited about this episode because today, as you know, we brought back Alan Aragon. He's an author, educator, nutrition expert for 30 years. This this friend of mine, this amazing man in the industry is top of the industry. I cannot say enough great things about him and I'm so honored that he's going to be that he that he welcomed, you know, welcomed <laughs> that he came back to the episode. Oh my goodness. I cannot even talk. We're not going to cut that out. We're not we're not editing that, Chrissy. <laughs> I'm just excited. So when I get excited, you know, like my, my mouth is going faster than my brain could think. So, um, yeah, so he's here. He's here on this episode this week. And I had what's funny is I had like at least 10 questions that we were going to talk about and discuss these topics. And we only got through like three, but it is so great. Great information on nutrition, and that's pretty much what we talked about, food, both of us. Love it. Love nutrition, and I really loved this episode. We had a great time, and I hope that you do too. I'm your host, Anna Wilson, certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, and registered nurse. I'm also the founder and very proud coach of Rock That Fitness, the best online women's fitness community ever. If you haven't yet done so, please hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Rock That Fitness with Anna Rockstar is a podcast that I created for you to bring you fresh insight that will help you improve your own fit lifestyle. Each week, I'm bringing you a thought-provoking show that challenges and inspires you to get out of your comfort zone and live your own best rock star life through nutrition, fitness, and mindset. So get ready, get set, lace up those shoes, and let's go rock that walk. Hey, Alan. 
How are you, man? My friend. How are you so doing, Anna? You today. <laughs> oh, it's great to be back. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thank you so very much for joining me again. I, I'm just so honored all the time. Um, I'm hopefully not as nervous this time as I was last time, but I still have a little <laughs> bit of nerves. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> thank you. That's okay right? with me. <laughs> I think nerves are okay too, because I think it just is a sign that you want to do well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you you got to have a little bit of fear. You know, a little, yes. little bit of nervousness. It, it always happens with me too. It's like, just like with speaking gigs, I always have that feeling of butterflies before going on, <laughs> even though I've done it a million times. So, so yeah. 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 I agree. Totally. Well, I'm going to go ahead and share with my audience, um, anyone listening and all the rock stars out there listening to this podcast today, um, that Alan Aragon, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you his intro, actually straight from his website. Alan Aragon is a nutrition researcher and educator with over 30 years of success in the field. He is known as one of the most influential figures in the fitness industry's movement towards evidence-based information. His notable clients include Stone Cold Steve Austin, Derek Fisher, and Pete Sampras. I hope I said that right. Alan writes a monthly research review, A-A-R-R, providing cutting-edge theoretical practical information. Alan's work has been published in popular magazines as well as peer-reviewed scientific literature. He co-authored Nutrient Timing Revisited, the most viewed article in the history of the Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition. He is also the lead author of the ISSN position stand on diets and body composition. Alan maintains a private practice designing programs for recreational and professional athletes and, of course, regular people striving to be their best. And then I have to mention um, your latest book, which is amazing and um, everybody's buying your book. Everybody's talking about it all over social media. And it truly is, uh, it's a great, it's a great read. And I love this book and I have it right here. See? <laughs> yay. Yay. Flexible dieting, <laughs> a science-based reality tested method for achieving and maintaining your optimal physique performance and health. There you go. Right. The Bible <sighs> of health and fitness right there. Thank, Thank you. you, Ellen, again. Yeah, I'm, for being glad, here. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. I'm glad you yes. enjoyed the book. And we're referring back to it for all kinds of stuff, which what I love and I have to thank you for is so like our client our clients in Rock That Fitness and and other people who know me and my friends, when you were on the podcast last time and everything that we talked about, they were like, Wow, that's everything you teach, Anna. And it was like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Alan, for backing me up. Great job. <laughs> Love it. So it was such a great thing. So I appreciate you. I appreciate that you're that you went, you know, went through the trouble to to write this book. I know writing a book is it's just it's a mountain. Um, and you climbed it. So it's amazing. And thank you for doing that. I have you're welcome. <laughs> several questions I want to talk about with you today and discuss. And of course, you know, I just invite you to to help lead our conversation and help our listeners to better understand health, nutrition fitness, strength training, especially this time of year, the very first part of the year where so many of us are excited. We have a clean slate getting ready to embark on our um, New Year's resolutions for some people, our goals, fitness goals, um, and all of those kind of things. So so yeah, that's kind of the approach I was hoping to take today because I know that a lot of people are 
are going to be doing that. And it's a very high percentage. Um, most people do not continue uh, making it through those kind of goals and resolutions. So I really want to take some time today and and help them with that, with these questions. So um, cool. yeah, I've been talking a lot here. Is there anything you want to add to what I just said? Well, resolutions, this is something that I just mentioned real quick on uh, one of my Instagram stories, and I got a lot of positive feedback about it. Yeah. And it's about how I think it's important to start the resolution making process with taking inventory of what you've accomplished up until this point. So just take inventory of the improvements that you've made over the course of your life or even over the course of the last few years. And I think people lose sight of how hard they've worked and how far they've come. And they also overlook the improvements they've made mentally and physically. And so I think it's important to not lose sight of those things because when the the turn of the new year happens, a lot of folks really don't necessarily need to add resolutions to their list. You know, they don't necessarily need to add goals, new goals to accomplish. It's more like either enjoy the accomplishments that you've already done uh, or just refine some of the things that you need to maintain and be consistent about. So I think that that little important step is to look back and appreciate what you've accomplished before you go ahead and start stacking new promises and resolutions on top. Yeah. And also that can help you just know that you've done some things, you have wins, behind, you know, underneath you. So you can, you can lean on that and and know that you can accomplish more because of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Pat yourself on the back. Take a moment to pat yourself on the back for what you've accomplished. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and take a look at what I have here. I don't have these questions in any particular order. Um, mm -hmm. We should have, we should have like, we'll put them in order. <laughs> I feel like we should have put these things <laughs> the in order. Was order was <laughs> great. I think the order's um, fine. You think so? All right. Yeah. Well, let's just start off and talk about how you would suggest that somebody would start if they wanted to be in a calorie deficit, which we know you need to be in a calorie deficit if you want to lose fat, lose weight. And so what would you say to somebody who has never done that or never intentionally put themselves in a calorie deficit? How would you start doing that? You're unfamiliar with that. Yes. Okay. There, It's a two-step process, really. It's You've got to, you got to write down everything you eat for at least a week, preferably, okay, at least, a, at least a typical week, or if not two weeks, just do, okay, so that's, that's one of the steps. The other step is you can't, you have to do your best not to change how you've been eating, just because now you're accountable to either yourself or somebody else, because the, the exercise is not going to work if you change anything. So the way that you've been eating, don't change a thing, just write everything down that you eat and drink for at least a week. And uh, that would be the beginning of the process of gaining awareness of uh, what is currently the state of affairs in your in your life <laughs> diet wise and then you can begin to see what what's maintaining you currently 
now, not everybody is in a state of uh, zero balance or um, or maintenance. Some people are already hypocaloric. Some people are hypercaloric where they're gaining weight. Um, but that's kind of the, the beginning. You, you have to get an idea of what's going on right now. And that's a matter of accurately journaling what you're consuming. Um, I recently talked to what one of my, one of my friends and, and she makes it really clear to her, her clients at the outset that you, you can't change what the way that you eat just because you're going to send me your, your week's your week's journaling. You can't change it. Yeah. Otherwise this is, this is not going to work. Right. I want to see the good, the bad, and the yeah. ugly of what you normally have been doing. And, and so she confirmed for me that with that verbiage that it's not going to work if you change anything, right. <laughs> um, yeah. then they, they really do end up um, relaying to her the good, the bad, and and the ugly. And, and so, so yeah, th- those are the two steps. Write down what the heck you eat and drink every day on on a normal typical week, and number two, don't change anything. Otherwise, you're not going to get a real picture of whether you're eating two thousand calories, three thousand calories, four thousand calories. You know. So when you and say so, to write yeah. everything down, mm-hmm. are you saying including the calorie amounts as well, or just writing everything down for awareness? Just write everything down for, for awareness, everything down and in the amounts that you eat. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you, some people will have enough nerve to weigh everything and, um, but eyeballing things, ballparking things can be just as, just as valid. If you have a sense of that, if you do any sort of cooking or food preparation and you, and you know what what a cup of something is, and you know what X amount of ounces or and or grams of something is, and you can eyeball it properly, then then great. Um, otherwise, you know, you you would have to take a very specific and and quantitative uh, inventory of of what you eat and relay it that way. So you don't have to to say, okay, I eat X calories of this, or I eat X grams of protein, carbs, and fat of that. You don't have to like, you know, become the human, my fitness pal. Although, <laughs> uh, <laughs> although some people would, would have a tendency to just get on, on my fitness pal and then relay it that way, which is fine. But um, if you have somebody helping you out, you can tell them, all right, so I eat six ounces of chicken and two cups of, of cooked rice and two cups of cooked vegetables for, for this meal. And for that meal I eat. And by the way, that meal is very, <laughs> it's not very typical. Um, yeah. That's not very typical. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, people will, will relay. I, I have two scoops of, uh, I have two scoops of chocolate ice cream and, you know, uh, the, the whole idea is to be able to accurately relay the portion sizes. Yeah. And, and then, you, you, and then you can figure it out. You, then you can plug it sure. into whatever app and then calculate it out. Right. And especially what you said, if you have somebody helping you, if you have a, a nutrition coach, a coach that's helping you, they're going to know basically mm-hmm. by that portion that you wrote down, whether it's a cup or two cups or, you know, a palm size of chicken meat or steak, mm-hmm. your coach should know, um, about how many calories that's going to be. Yes. Um, so. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
So when you, so, so, so speaking of that, if, if somebody mm-hmm. does not have a coach, let's just touch on this real quick, sure. because you just said something that, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think we, we need to, we need to highlight this. And mm-hmm. that is you're writing all of this down so that you can get a baseline. So you can actually know, because mm-hmm. what I find so fascinating or interesting is that a lot of people try to get into a calorie deficit right off the bat, and they don't even know what what they've been eating. They don't know what their maintenance is. They have no idea what they've, you know, been eating. And so what you're saying makes a lot of sense because Mm -hmm. then if you can get an idea of what you're averaging right now, just normal every day, which don't change anything. So, you know, then Mm -hmm. you have an idea of what your average calories are and what you've been eating to maintain your current weight. So that would be your maintenance approximately. Right. That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Because people yes, don't know. Right. It's funny to me that people will say, tell me my, what my calorie deficit is supposed to be. And it's like, well, tell me what your maintenance is. <laughs> you know, that's exactly right. So um, let's talk about that for just a second about how we dial in, which I know there's no perfect number for a calorie deficit, but how do we tell that person who doesn't really know how to get into a calorie deficit? They've never done it. Let's talk about just, you know, the nuts and bolts of that. Can you, can you talk to that? Yeah, it comes down to a 10 to 20% rule of thumb. And that 10 to 20% applies in both directions, whether somebody wants to gain weight or whether they want to lose weight. And so the safe bet is to whatever you're consuming at present. And what we were just talking about, it was kind of within the context of somebody working with a coach and just relaying their, their intake to a coach. And the coach assesses all right, so you're consuming about X amount of calories and your 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 macros are roughly this. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody is not working with a coach, well, then they'll have to use an app like like my fitness pal to get a ballpark of what their calories and, and macronutrient intakes are. So um so uh, excuse okay, me for a uh, second. Let me just say something yeah. real quick. You're not mm-hmm. saying to let the app tell you what your calorie deficit is. You're saying to get an idea of the calories what that you're, you're eating. Okay. Just right. wanted to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So once you've um once you have an idea of what you're currently eating, and if we're taking a, a weight loss goal, for example, then the 20, 10 to 20% rule would dictate that whatever you're eating right now, eat. 10 to 20% less calories than, than what you're eating. So if we take a, a, a round number, that's easy to do <laughs> math in, in your head with like, if, if you're consuming, let's say 3000 calories, then 10 to 20% reduction from that, uh, would be 300 to 600 calories less than what you're consuming. Now the average normal weight somewhat sedentary person in the United States is consuming like 10, like about 2000 calories, you know, so in the low to mid 2000 calories. So they would be lopping off, um, two to 400 calories from that if they wanted to put themselves in a caloric deficit. And so, um, most people that for most people that the guideline of a 500 calorie deficit is right around the ballpark that you'd want to do. But I think that it, it's a little bit better to look at 10 to 20%, depending on how 
uh, gentle or aggressive you want to make that caloric yeah. deficit. Right. And um, so, so that that's how I would how I would program it. If somebody is, um, let's say, let's say somebody has a substantial amount of weight they want to lose, then you would lean more towards a twenty percent reduction in what they're currently eating. Um, if somebody is already normal weight or on the lean side and they want to push the envelope. Um, then I would look more towards the uh, 10% reduction because the leaner you get, the more you risk losing the wrong kind of weight. Yeah. Um, if you, if, you know, if you start dieting and, and pushing for the, the, in quotes, the summer shreds, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the, the leaner you are, the slower your body weight has got to come up. Otherwise you end up losing lean body mass. Um, along with fat mass. And the whole goal is to preserve lean body mass and um, reduce fat mass. So for um, for that population who is trying to push the envelope and they're already in pretty good shape, I'd, I'd go more towards a 10% deficit instead of a 20% mm -hmm. reduction. Yeah. And that, you know, is, an, is a great point. It's kind of a segue into asking this question for somebody who doesn't have a lot of weight to lose. Um, but in their mind, they want to lose five or 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. And typically that's a person that doesn't need to be in a very low or aggressive calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times this is a typical person that works out um, intensely or regularly, consistently. So there's a balance there that they have to kind of adjust and be mindful of when it comes to that weight coming off slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk about that? Because I think that yeah. that, that, um, population can have a tendency to be, um, under fueled. If that makes sense. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Like they're not yep. getting enough calories. They're in a calorie deficit. They're also working out all of the time. So they're actually mm -hmm. in, a, in a more aggressive calorie deficit because of that. Can you speak mm -hmm. to that? Because I know that's kind of that topic of, you know, eat less, move more. And there's just so much more to it when we want to maintain lean body mass. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, for, for that scenario that you just painted, um, scale weight can actually come in handy because if somebody is losing more than 1% of their total body weight per week, yeah. Then, then that's a little bit of a red flag that they may be dieting too aggressively. And, um, that is a bit of a red flag that they might be setting themselves up for a regain or rebound or sabotage down the line because of a, an undue loss of lean body mass while they're losing body fat. So you want to limit your weekly weight losses to 1% of your total body weight, generally speaking. So in terms of um, absolute numbers, uh, if somebody is overweight or obese, then we're looking at one to two pounds of weight loss per week being um, actually pretty fast, a pretty fast rate of loss. If somebody is like you just mentioned, normal weight, pushing the envelope already, um, fairly athletic, 
you would want to limit that weight loss to half a pound to all the way up to a full pound a week. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're just, you're losing lean body mass along with fat mass. And that's not a good thing for many reasons. And how does that also affect, this is going to get a little bit deeper here because mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking about women who are in a calorie deficit and they are, they don't have a lot of fat to lose, a lot of weight to lose. And they're in the calorie deficit and they are working out aggressively. Um, they are burning a lot of calories and they may be in, in that aggressive calorie deficit to that point, maybe not even losing any weight. Can you talk about that? If that's really the case and how, you know, what's going on with our metabolism for mm. that woman? If that, does that make sense what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Um, because of the stress mm. on the body and what's going on, mm. what happens in that? I think women need to understand that this is a big deal and you need to make sure that you are eating enough and that you're balancing your exercise along with your nutrition. Yeah, there are several ways that the body fights against um, caloric deficits that that you try to impose on it. And so, in the case that that you that you painted, it is typically a reduction in um, involuntary or subconscious movement outside of formal exercise. So people end up reducing their non-exercise activity. And this happens at a, on a subconscious basis. So they're, you know, they're getting their five workouts in a week. Yeah. Um, they're nailing their, their diet, but for some reason, um, they're just, you know, their weight loss is slowing down or it's not happening. And a lot of times what, what ends up happening really is that outside of the training bout, their movement goes down. And, um, there's a certain degree of non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or we call it just the acronym NEAT. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a certain degree of NEAT that people maintain, and this can fluctuate, um, pretty widely depending on how hard somebody's dieting or how long they've been dieting. And it's really typical for people's NEAT levels to decrease by two to 300 calories a day, just as a result of, of dieting. So the body goes, Oh, wow. All right. So, uh, we have to survive somehow. And so therefore, um, we're going to fidget less. We're going to, you know, toss and turn less. We're going to, um, snap our fingers and bob our head less while we're working. We're going to walk, Oh, 10% slower. We're going to use the remote more. We're going to get up to go pick things up a lot less and just all of these things add up. We're going to fidget less. Uh, All these things add up to amount to a significant reduction in caloric expenditure in a 24 hour period. And so um, it's a really interesting phenomenon, the the reduction in non-exercise activity. And a lot of people mistake that for a reduction in resting metabolic rate. So resting metabolic rate, it just in a nutshell, that that's the amount of calories you burn in a 24 hour period, just to fuel your vital functions and keep you alive. And so usually that is the the largest component 
of 24 hour energy expenditure in humans is resting metabolism or resting energy expenditure, also called resting metabolic rate. And it's also called basal metabolic rate, just yeah. to confuse, just to confuse <laughs> everyone. It's got like four yeah. different things that it's called, but so it's really, it, it's not the resting energy expenditure that drops precipitously while people are dieting. Now, of course, there are cases where that does happen, but that would be like a, a, a highly, uh, a poorly put together program that mm-hmm. does not include resistance training, that does not include enough protein that, um, for example, allows re- weight loss that's too rapid to the point that you're you're losing large amounts of lean body mass um, alongside of uh, losses in fat mass. Yeah, there are those programs that really do drop your resting metabolic rate because you're losing a lot of lean mass. Mm-hmm. But if it's done right, then the the thing that people usually need to contend with is this insidious, hard to, hard to 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 track, hard to hard to put a yeah. finger on, and subconscious drop in non-exercise activity levels. And so that that's that's really kind of what what happens. And that's really what you're seeing when people have a hard time dieting and they're thinking, oh, okay, well, things are plateaued and you know, my, my metabolism has has went down and yeah. I'm doing everything right. And so that that's one of the possibilities that happens. So it's an involuntary thing. You don't you're really not aware of it, basically. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So mm-hmm. what about the idea, because this is something people talk about all the time. Well, you know, you're stressed out and that stress is increasing your stress hormones, which mm-hmm. they like to say it's the cortisol. And that's what's causing you to not be able to lose weight. Let's talk about that for a minute. I want to hear your thoughts on this. What, yeah, is, there truth, um... <laughs> is there truth to this? You know what I'm saying? Is there truth yeah, yeah. to that? Right. Yes. Um Cortisol is sometimes associated with with um, body water fluctuations, and um, th- you can build a case for it being responsible for a certain degree of of water retention that might mask um, actual fat loss. But I would not count that in as a I wouldn't count cortisol in as one of the the major factors dictating your you know an inability to lose body fat um, because physiologically it it just doesn't work that way. Um, in fact, you know they've done a bunch of studies on um, military boot camp programs where oh, cortisol yeah. levels are through the roof and people right. are are losing enormous amounts of weight and fat. Wow. Okay. So yeah, 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 yeah that um, makes sense. So we can't blame cortisol for that. We True. the the way that we can blame stress. So 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 people usually blame stress and then cortisol. <laughs> what we can do is we can take a look at uh, psychological stress. So the psychological stress of dieting. Oh yes. Um, and that would actually affect uh, compliance, and that would affect the amount of food that you eat when you decide to loosen the reins a little bit. And that would also, um, in some people, it would affect their frequency of overeating 
or, or even just flat out binging. Mm -hmm. So psychological stress during dieting can just lead to episodes where, where you just binge. And it's really, really very easy to eat several thousand calories more mm -hmm. than, than what would maintain you in, in a given week um, if you were to just go on a couple of binges. And so what, what happens with that week is that you gained one or two pounds back that you spent the last few weeks trying to get rid of. Yeah. And, and so um, that can be misconstrued as, oh, you know, stress and cortisol. It's more like stress and the effect stress has on eating behavior, right. not some, not some inherent physiological effect that cortisol may have on fat retention, weight retention, okay. or, or water retention. So we can kind of, uh, for all practical purposes, we can toss the cortisol worry out, out the, out <laughs> yeah. the window. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the importance of keeping our stress levels down, like being aware of the things that are stressing us and our schedules and, and giving ourselves margin is what I call it. Like you don't have to fill every single line of the page and all the margins of your life to keep your stress down because this is what happens. And just as slow as the weight is going to come off, if you are diligent about your nutrition and your exercise, just as slow as it goes off, it can slowly come back. So I love that you said that because you could have a very emotional, stressful week and easily consume an extra thousand calories, an extra, geez, you know, 2000 calories. And then maybe you did that for two weeks. Mm -hmm. You're going to see that, but it might not be immediate, but it's going to happen slowly. You're going to see the increase and it's just, it's the opposite. But I think you're, I think what you speak to just makes so much sense. And I think it's important pe for people to realize that you're not going to see it right away. <laughs> just like, you know, you're eating over the, myself eating over the holidays, you know, eating the extra things that I don't normally have in my diet. And then week after week after week, a little here, a little there. Yeah. Saw the pounds come on, but it didn't happen in one week. So yes. yeah, that's right. And, and everything sense. counts. Everything. everything counts. You you talk about the holidays, um, just meals out with, with friends, um, business lunches, business dinners, uh, family gatherings, um, gatherings with, with friends, all of that stuff, all that stuff counts. Um, and the way there's ways to mitigate the effects of them. There's ways to hedge against the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the social effects of eating. But, um, a lot of times people sort of don't take into account that, yeah, I have a couple drinks. Great. Okay. Well, that's 500 calories. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> you know, especially um, those foo-foo drinks, you know, <laughs> yes. The fancy stuff, the fancy the, fruity, the, stuff. the gourmet, the gourmet <laughs> cocktails and mocktails. Oh yes. Um, and the creamy ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. And also the effects that alcohol has on a phenomenon called disinhibition, which, um, most people would recognize as the effort factor. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you just throw caution in the wind. You're like, oh, screw it. You know, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll just have another slice of pizza, another couple slices of pizza, plow through the hot wings. And that, you know, a thousand, 2000 calories later, um, you're, you know, you're, you're left having to sort of reassess like what's going on with your goals. Yeah. So, so yeah. 
speaking of stress and the way yeah. that people deal with stress, uh, people can use food to to deal with stress. People can use um, alcohol to right. deal with stress. And it all affects body composition. It all affects fat loss goals very profoundly. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads me to the next question that I have. And that has to do with the type of calories that we are consuming. And I love this topic because I, I've lived this where it does matter for me, um, the calories that I'm putting into my body for my body composition. What are the building blocks that we're putting in our body? If we're trying to build muscle, if we're trying to lose fat, not, I mean, you know, this idea that calorie equals a calorie. Yes. In some sense. Yes. But it depends on what it's coming with. So can you talk to us about the importance and what you can expect if you're just counting calories, you know, whatever, all eat whatever you want calories, which lots mm -hmm. of processed food, sugar, those kind of things that are not nutrient dense. And you're just eating that in your calorie deficit, as opposed to really make an intention to eat healthy, nutritious foods. Can you talk about the difference of what you can expect with your body composition? And is there a difference? Yeah, there's multiple layers to that. So let's see if I can answer this in a non, <laughs> yeah, that was in big. a non, <laughs> non complicated way. Um, at a, at a, at a kind of a more simplistic level, that's pretty easy to, to, to grasp is macronutrition matters. Um, and, and immediately you think of, you think of protein and the ability for protein to support muscle mass and function. So if somebody just, let's say they're shooting for 2000 calories a day, and they're not really caring how they're getting those 2000 calories a day, then they may or may not hit their, their protein targets. And if you don't hit your protein targets, you're not going to maximally support the maintenance and or growth of, of muscle tissue and muscle tissue is really the, the metabolic engine of the body. Yeah. And, and if you don't treat it as that and support it as that and nurture it as that, then everything either kind of falls apart or just sort of limps along from there. Yeah. And, and so, okay. So that, that's one layer of it. Yet macro macronutrition matters. Yes. And, um, and just to kind of throw in like a, 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 another potential goal, if somebody has athletic performance goals and they just are caring about calories, I need to get X amount of calories in a day, who cares where it comes from, then they may not be getting enough carbohydrate to fuel athletic performance. And so that's another pitfall of just caring about calories and nothing else. And then the other layer here is getting incomplete essential nutrition, especially with, uh, with micronutrition. So if, if somebody just cares about calories and they don't care about essential micros, yeah, you, you could still live, you could still survive that. Um, the human, the human animal is probably one of the most resilient species on the planet. You can feed us almost anything and have it be highly incomplete. And we'll find a way to survive and subsist on that. And there's plenty of evidence that the human animal is incredible at surviving 
horrible diets, not even mm-hmm. suboptimal, <laughs> just extremely like the Twinkie diet, the Twinkie diet. We can live, <laughs> you, you may live decades, you know, it's, 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 incre- it's absolutely incredible how the wow. body is able to live off of its own tissue stores and, yeah. and <laughs> take what it can get <laughs> and just survive. So, just survive. um, getting suboptimal micronutrition it over time, it will compromise. Well, uh, in an immediate sense, the micronutrients enable your body to maximally um, utilize and put to work the macronutrients. So micronutrients allow the body to properly use the macronutrients. So that's on an, on an immediate basis Uh, on a long-term basis micronutrient incompleteness just leads to various disease states, but that takes typically takes decades to, to manifest unless you're, you're running, um, really acute and extreme micronutrient deficiencies. Like for example, if you were to cut out all plant foods from your diet, I mean, you, let's say you go carnivore okay, <laughs> and you go extreme carnivore where you're just eating chunks of, of, of cow flesh and that's it. <laughs> Uh, you may within a few months notice that your gums bleed a little easier. Um, you may notice actual, actual signs of scurvy. Oh yes. So vitamin C deficiency. Um, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, the carnivore community would, would minimize that, that occurrence and the prevalence within Mm -hmm. that community. But Mm -hmm. Some people recognize it and they're afraid of it. So they eat a little bit of citrus or they at least take a multivitamin while, while they're carnivoring. <laughs> which, <laughs> while they're carnivoring. While they're carnivoring. Yeah. Yes. And so micronutrition is very important. And and, and so um, a for, another layer, whether I'm on the third or fourth layer to just caring about <laughs> calories, but not nutrients are beneficial constituents of the diet that are not necessarily essential, but they do contribute to long-term health and longevity, such as um, a couple things like the antioxidant polyphenol compounds in a wide array of plant foods. So a lot of those nutrients um, are associated with good cardiovascular health. Yeah. And let me, can I just say something real quick? I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. But just for everybody to understand what that means is that these are nutrients that fight against diseases and things that are attacking your body when you say, okay, just trying to bring it down a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. Bring the technical, (laughs) the technical jargon. If you want jargon, I got, I got a lot of jargon for you. I know you're blowing me away, man. (laughs) So these, these compounds in foods that are, they're not necessarily, they're, they're not vitamins. They're not, they're not essential vitamins. They're not essential minerals. They're not essential macronutrients like, um, protein and fat. Um, but they exist in foods and these compounds are associated with protection from chronic disease. Absolutely. So like I mentioned, the, these antioxidant compounds in, in plant foods, um, these, uh, even something it's simple like fiber, Right. Fiber, fiber intake is associated with, um, a wide array of, of health benefits and, and preventive health benefits. And so 
Um, this does these all of these things we're talking about don't necessarily have to do with your calorie count by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get these things, if you, if you're not getting um, a full enough spectrum of micronutrition, yeah. if if your macronutrition is off, then a number of things can go wrong over time. Yeah, I love that you said that, and I think the part that stands out to me is where you say like it could be decades before this has an impact on you with a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also make a huge turnaround by changing your diet and how you're eating wherever you are, whatever stage of life you are at to help prevent disease or lessen the possibilities, right? Like we can change things. doesn't matter. I want to mention that even on a short-term basis, Anna, Mm -hmm. just subjective mood and how you feel and digestion and, um, just generally on an ongoing basis, how, how good or bad that you feel can be affected by diet quality. And there is an interesting self-experiment that was done by uh, one of my friends, Anthony Howard Crow. He did a hundred day experiment of just eating. This is hilarious. Ben and Jerry's ice cream in various flavors. So it wouldn't get sick of it. So a (laughs) hundred days of just Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Oh my goodness. And protein powder. And now he's never going to eat Ben and Jerry's again. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, let me tell you. Oh my gosh. At day 30, he was miserable. He was (gasps) feeling like hell. I bet. He wasn't even performing well in the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, He just generally felt like crap. And by day 100, he pushed it all the way through (laughs) to 100 days of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and protein powder. And the idea was, okay, I'm wow. going to hit my macros, but I'm just going to do it in with just sort of an extreme, an extreme diet. He felt like absolute crap. He, speaking of crap, he, <laughs> yes, he, <clears throat> yeah, that did not go well the whole time. And, um, he pretty much, uh, is a good case study that diet quality definitely matters. Yeah. I mean, think even about, if you're hitting your macros, even you're hitting your macros. Yes. And that's what I'm trying. I want to highlight that for a second, because what you just said is you've got your protein there. You have your mm-hmm. carbohydrates with the sugars in there and then the fat. Yes. <laughs> so there you have all yeah. the macronutrients yeah. for a hundred right. days, but it's not, it's not a good balance of what your body really craves yeah. and requires. Yeah. To feel right. great, mm-hmm. man. And this happens to me too. I'm, I'm a self-experiment sometimes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> on occasion where I have way too much sugar, whether it be way too many pieces of tres leches cake with ice cream too. Yeah. Um, there you, you go. Know? And the next day, I swear, this is what I call it. It's a sugar hangover for me. I mean, literally, <laughs> I'm like so fatigued. I can barely get out of bed. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. It was like too much sugar yesterday. <laughs> yes. That's a no, real totally. thing. And I c- it could take me two days to clear that from my system, you know? Yeah. 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 Diet I, quality matters. It does. It does. Well, we're in the, in the short term and the long term. And let, let me just 100%. add this little, little wrinkle here. Like yeah, we, please. even like within the macronutrients, yes, you can either get your protein from, from spam. <laughs> <laughs> my husband or, would love that. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious, man. He's the country maybe, boy. <laughs> maybe he's part Filipino or something. Filipinos oh, are oh, obsessed oh, really? with yeah, they like spam. It's just the funniest thing. Oh, I don't it's know what funny. It is. I don't understand it, but we have a. We have one can- if there's, 
to the two Filipino people uh, listening to your <laughs> podcast, they'll they'll be all like, "Oh yeah, for some reason Filipinos eat spam a lot." Oh my gosh! Well, my but... my daughter's boyfriend <laughs> is Filipino, so this is funny. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. So yeah, Filipinos okay. are, are especially in the Western world. They're notorious for having real crappy diets. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. You watch out for me. I just took you on a on a rant there. Okay, rabbits. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I couldn't help it. So, so with with protein, you can either get your your protein from spam, or you can get it from let's say uh, lean, fresh uh, meat, fish, poultry, mm-hmm. um, or or dairy, or eggs. Um, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, or whey protein powder or, or whey protein powder. Right. Right. And just don't have it with Ben and Jerry's and call it yeah. a diet really. Um, and for carbohydrate, you can either get it from Tres Leches and, um, you know, let's say Jolly Ranchers, or you can get it from, you know, peas and beans and, and, and tubers and fruits and, and whole grains. And, um, and with fats, you can either get them from like, let's say Crisco and, and butter all day long. Um, or you can get your fats from olive oil, avocados, nuts, fatty fish. Um, and there's differences in diet quality and differences in health effects, even with, with food selection. And this isn't to say you need to have this perfect food selection all the time. Right. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of, Hey, 80% of your diet, 80 to 90%. Okay. Make it good and, and, and wholesome and in quotes clean. Okay. That that's cool. But that 10 to 20% that's coming from the desserts and the Ben and Jerry's and, and the, you know, the wine o'clocks and and whatever. (laughs) Um, as long as you keep it down to 10 to 20% of your total intake, you're you're still going to have a high quality diet and you're still going to live as long and, and, and happy life, maybe even a happier life than somebody who tries to do a hundred percent wholesome diet. How does somebody do that in in their mind? You know, people ask that too. I mean, I don't think they're going to be doing the math, like taking percentages of their entire calorie daily and saying, oh, this is 10 or 20%. But like, Mm. just in general, like, how Mm. would you think that through in your day to day and your week? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think maybe it's a little bit easier to think in terms of 250 to 500 calories max from kind of whatever the hell you want mm-hmm. a week um a day and, and, a day a day okay a day. okay well so and depending on what your calories are for the day too right if you're yeah. a little person sure. with, with lower caloric intake needs you may want to error on the 250ish calories of whatever you want side if you're a larger person um high activity level um then you know, you can err on the 500 calories of whatever you want. Uh, and then as long as the other 80 to 90% of the dietary calories are, are in quotes, wholesome, then you have yeah. a high quality diet. And also, wouldn't and, you, yeah. wouldn't you say that if you do that to pay attention to your body and how you feel when you have those foods, because yeah. I know you're saying like, I know myself, I could probably do a couple hundred calories of whatever I want daily, but that doesn't always go over very well for me. Just mental state, my stamina, my energy, something with that. And I don't, I don't eliminate it completely from my diet, but I do tend to avoid it because I feel better without it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And, and that, that's, that is to be implemented on an individual basis. Right. There's not, 
there's not a minimum amount of junk food that everyone should be eating. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like on some days, if you don't feel like having any chocolate, then don't have any chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) If on some days you don't want to have that cookie that, that you would normally have don't have it. Sure. It's yeah. There's not a minimum amount of uh, discretionary calories that, that you can take in. It's just that when you look at, when you look at long-term um, success, usually that 10, having 10 to 20% of total calories coming from in quotes, discretionary foods like desserts, um, for example, and desserts mm-hmm. and, and uh, junk foods, mm-hmm. then it gives people a little bit more um, of a rest stop in terms of of kind of the long, (laughs) the long road ahead. And it actually, it it can nurture a healthy uh, psychological relationship with food. And it can sort of reinforce the idea that, okay, this is just food. It just happens to be in the the um, discretionary, in the the fun (laughs) food category. Yeah. And as long as people are aware that it's okay to have the stuff every day. I just got to limit it to 10 to 20% of my calories in the day. If I do have it yes. and you don't have, you don't have to have it every day. Just like in your case, you know, you, it doesn't make you feel good Yes, to have it, to have it every day. Maybe you would end up having it like a couple times a week or three times a week or whatever your frequency is. And that's perfectly fine. You know, all these things, the better you can individualize these allotments and these tactics then the the better the success rate will be because I I do know people who don't like any junk foods yeah and they they're appalled at the idea of having like a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of dark chocolate with with a you know a spoon of peanut butter a day which is my thing um, you know <laughs> um, but that's that that's what I enjoy and that's what I like and that's what's nurtured my perception of it's just food, you know, we, we can yes. be, be strategic about it. And as long as it doesn't contribute to this overconsumption overall, by the end of the day, yes. or the end of the week, then it can serve to just add, add to the quality of life. Yes. And there's no hard and fast rules. And I love that about your book, because you really drive home that point that it's a very individual thing. And each of us has to determine what's going to work for us for our long-term, mm-hmm. for our longevity, for our health, for our fat loss mm-hmm. and our maintenance. And that's one of the great things about your book is that there's no hard and fast rule. There are just guidelines and science and research that mm-hmm. back up what what we're teaching. Um, yeah. I want to ask you something about what you said a few minutes ago mm-hmm. uh, or just a minute ago about you know, incorporating foods in moderation, 10%, 20%. Um, what about, what would you say to the person? And this may just be an eating disorder situation because some people will say, oh no, I love X too much, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is that if I have that, I'm going to go overboard. I can't even have that at all. What about that person? Can, is that a legit eating disorder thing that someone's going to need to see therapy over or can that person rehabilitate their psychology and be able to incorporate those foods in their lives daily? This is a big thing for us in Rock That Fitness and some of the women deal with uh, trigger yeah, foods. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is a tough one. That is a tough one. I'm What I would begrudgingly admit 
<laughs> is that some people do better with avoiding foods that they perceive as trigger foods. Okay. Some people do better with avoiding it, but, and this is a big, but, um, <clears throat> I would, <laughs> I would encourage, yes, <laughs> Brett Contreras, shout out to Brett Contreras. <laughs> I would, I would, um, encourage everybody to first try the approach of, of changing your mindset towards these in quotes, trigger foods. Because the reason why these trigger foods are the uh, perceived the way they are is because of the way that people put them on this um, pedestal and the power mm -hmm. that they give these foods in their minds. They don't see them as, oh, it's just food. Mm -hmm. They see them as something that has control over them. And um, they're enamored. They're, they're enamored with it. Yeah. And not only that, but subconsciously they're thinking they're not allowed to have this stuff. And so <laughs> when you think you're not allowed, when you think something's forbidden fruit, right? when you, when you do have it, you're thinking that you're going to do your best to not ever have it again for however many months or years. So if you have it in the back of your mind that I'm going to sincerely try to avoid this stuff for as long as I can possibly stand it, as long as I'm being good on my program, then what you're going to do is have, you're going to have a tendency to overeat the stuff or binge on it. Yeah. Because you're seeing this as your golden opportunity to have this stuff before you have it again, like in a year from now. Right. And so gosh, darn it, you're going to truly enjoy it. And then you go <laughs> overboard. Yeah. Now, if you compare that to the, the perception that, I can have this every damn day if I want. I can take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As long as the amount is is in quotes moderated mm -hmm. and, and controlled, then you don't have this perception of the food as forbidden fruit to be avoided for at least another six months. You know, yeah. you, you have the perception that it's there if I want it. I can have it every day. Sometimes I won't want it. Sometimes I will. No big deal. And um, if people can shift their mindset to, it's just food. I can have it every day. If I keep it down to 200 calories a day or you know, yes. two to 400 calories or 250 to 500 calories, that 10 to 20% guideline, then the food loses its forbidden fruit appeal. It loses its power. So it's a matter of shifting your perception of the food. And I'm I would encourage people to do that. Yeah. I, I'm so glad you said that. I feel like I'm okay now because those tortilla chips don't have that control over me. <laughs> That's right, Anna. <laughs> and you know my, what? My wife too. My wife is a chip person too. Yeah. She's a chipper. Chips and salsa. I love the Lord's cheeps. And so oh. <laughs> like over the holidays, well, we had a Christmas party and I was in charge of bringing, you know, making sure we had the tortilla chips and boy, did I load up on the tortilla chips. Now yeah. my pantry, I have so many tortilla chips in there. <laughs> but <laughs> it's going to last us a few months. But, you know, I feel like that there are times when I start eating those tortilla chips and they start getting a little, you know, like, oh, I just want some more. I just want some more, especially if I'm eating them out of the bag because I'm not aware, you know, I'm just like eating them out of the bag. But when I say, you know what, I'm really going to be careful. I'm going to be, I'm going to limit myself and I'll portion it out um, and then say, well, 
do I want more after I've had a portion? And typically no, or yeah, I'm gonna have a couple more, but that gives me the control. And I'm just, I'm just speaking that out because I think, I think everybody needs to know that you, you can re reprogram your mind and you don't have to be controlled by foods. And I can have foods in my house that would quote unquote, be trigger foods for me. Um, if I allowed that, you know, but I will say this just because like what you just said, you got to know what are the foods that do that to you? Because I think Mm -hmm. everybody psychologically, um, just, you know, genetically in your brain, whatever brain chemistry you have, I think we can have tendencies. Everybody's different. This is what I believe. And so if that is you, and there's a food that you feel like is triggers you somehow that dopamine hits hard because you eat that, um, then do what you're saying, right, Alan, to try to find a way to incorporate it in your life so that it's not having that control. But also for myself, I'll go times where I won't buy any tortilla chips at all. I just won't have them in the house. I just need a break. I just need a break. If I feel like they're pulling on me, I just don't buy them because out of sight, out of mind, and it gets it, gets it out of my system for a while. And then I'll reintroduce them and they're not a problem. It's just, that's just something that I do just being aware of me and my tortilla chip. <laughs> That's so Obsession. funny. <laughs> <But I think laughs> I'm saying it's funny because like my wife is the same. She's the same way. I'm like, what is it with you and your chips, man? <laughs> my son is the same. <laughs> he, we both love tortilla chips. It is really funny. That's funny. And I have loved funny. this so much. I didn't realize that this was going to, I, I think we touched on two questions, which is fine. I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. and praying that you would come back again. Of but, course I would. Um, I would so love great. to. The last, can I ask one more question? I hope this isn't too deep and long, but something that I think is important to answer this question before we wrap up this podcast episode. And that is how long do you suggest staying on a calorie deficit? And when is a good time to take a diet break? We've talked about this before, but I want to wrap up this episode with that topic because I, I think people need to know that you, when you do decide to get yourself on a program and take a calorie deficit, like it's not forever. It's not a sentence forever. And it's good to take some breaks. Can you talk about that again? Cause I love, I love this concept. Yes. Yes. Okay. So diet breaks, taking diet breaks, um, it sounds like a cop-out for me to answer it like this, but it, you just have to go with how the individual feels. So, um, I've had clients who dieted for six months straight <laughs> with no, you no know, problem. with no break, with no break. Okay, but then no break. again, they are, they were starting off from a high degree of obesity at the start and they were just highly motivated. And they were just enjoying the, the, the weekly weight loss, um, to the point where they just weren't motivated to, to take a break and they just wanted to just power through the whole thing. Um, most people do need a break once, like once every four to eight weeks, usually is when the psychological fatigue of dieting sets in. And so, um, the way that you can in quotes periodize it <laughs> is you can be, you know, you can kind of go hard for, for three weeks and then one week out of the month, you just l- sort of lighten up the attack <laughs> on the diet. And, and if you can coincide that, that week with when your cravings are, are highest, usually this is kind of around the menstrual cycle for women. 
and then um, then it works out pretty good that way because you do take take a break on what one week right. out of the month, right? And then on the other three weeks, you're on program. You're you know you're training hard and you're you're eating on point, and that that usually is a pretty a pretty good model for people to be able to sustain until they hit their goals, as opposed to saying, okay, no diet breaks for, <laughs> you know, for this first year or whatever, you know, for this, this ungodly amount of time before you do, you can earn a diet break. I would say, you know, take a diet break every four to eight weeks, depending on, on how you're feeling. And as a side note, I want to just clarify that a diet break does not mean a diet, like a calorie surplus and going crazy. It just yeah. means bringing your calories up to a maintenance, kind of a normal level for you, um, but not going crazy, just kind of bringing it up a little bit. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Wow. Wow, Alan. I love this. I love talking about nutrition with you. I love talking here, about it with you. <laughs> we said, okay, I've got about 10 questions here. Oh yeah, they're yeah. all easy and short answers, and they were. Oh yeah, and then we got like three done. Perfect. <laughs> hey, that's that's great. I love that. I think that's great. You know, there's so much to talk about. Um, I'm gonna pick on not pick on you, but I'm gonna pick your brain for a second because I this is food related. <laughs> um, I think I'm. You mentioned this somewhere. I don't remember when I heard you say it. I think it was at that conference I saw you in last year in July when you spoke. I don't know. Anyway, I know you make this this common protein shake that you love, and yeah, you said yeah, it. Yeah. And um, when you said it, I was like, "Bingo! I'm gonna try oh. that." And then I didn't oh. even know what the amounts were, but I've created my own, and I'm just wondering how close mine is compared to yours. Can I tell you what I put in mine? Is it the mocha one? Oh, no, it's or not the mocha it, one. Or is it the blueberry one? Yes, it's one. the blueberry one. The blueberry one. Let's hear yeah. it. Let's see how okay. close you come. So this is the one that I've really learned learned to love. And I use frozen blueberries. Do you use frozen blueberries? Yeah, I do. Okay. Frozen yeah. blueberries. Um, I use a scoop of chocolate whey protein legion. Yeah. Um, and I use about a tablespoon, sometimes a two tablespoons of peanut butter. And then I add about a cup of fair life, ultra, whatever, zero fat milk. And I blend mm. it in my Ninja. Mm. Oh, that sounds so good. That is, is, you know, that is really damn close. That, that, yeah. Well, that, I mean, I, well, I have, I add ice to it as well. And I add more protein. It. Oh, go oh, ahead. You do. Okay. So sometimes when I want to cut calories, everybody, um, I'll use PB fit for the peanut butter, you know? Oh, there you go. Yeah. And sometimes I, if I don't have the chocolate protein powder, I'll use like a vanilla protein powder and I'll put like two tablespoons of cocoa powder in there. So there's ways to modify it. Um, but I found that if I don't use ice, if I find a way not to use ice, it's creamier. It's like a frosty. (laughs) It's yeah. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) It is. So tell me how you do yours. That's really close to my, I just add another scoop of protein. That's um, it? Yeah. Some ice, yeah, more I, ice. I add, I add protein and, and I add ice. Yep. And, oh, um, this is, this is kind of hilarious, but I have these straws that like these big glass straws that I oh, use to sip yeah. the smoothies. Oh yeah. Because if I don't use straws for smoothies and, and coffee, oh. like it, your teeth get stained. <laughs> within like a month. 
Oh no. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. This freaking gray brown color when you're smiling, it's like, oh damn, what just happened? Yeah. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't love doing the the white strips very often. You know, I I feel like, I feel like it's not that great for (laughs) for you. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe that's bro science, you know, Are you yeah, having that but, protein shake every day? Cause I could eat that every night as my dessert. You know, I've, I've been leaning towards the mocha. Oh, really? Tell me shake. about this mocha. Let's, let's talk about this one. What yes. You, uh, okay. Is it a so, secret? No, it's not a secret, but it's something that would be, um, too caloric for, for a lot of folks. Okay. Um, and, and I mean, it's fine for me because, you know, uh, I, I, I train regularly like five days a week and, and I, you know, my, yeah. my body weight's like one, one eighty three right yeah. now. So, um, if somebody like wants to maintain like a buck 20 or something like that, this is probably not going to be, <laughs> we could do, we could do a half portion. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So what I do is I have the equivalent of two frozen bananas and I have a couple of cups of ice. And then I do about three tablespoons of unsweetened cocoa. Uh, And then I do two scoops of of chocolate protein powder. And then about 16 ounces of um, cold coffee. Or at least not not hot coffee. Something that's either been (laughs) sitting in the pot overnight or (laughs) has been in the the refrigerator. Oh, yes. That sounds delicious. You just blend that up and it is awesome it is just amazing yeah but it's probably enough for for two people yeah well the one that i make is definitely enough for two people but i drink the whole thing (laughs) good woman (laughs) i've made this thing on instagram they're like you drink that whole thing i'm like "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah yeah well you got to know your body you got to know that you can how much energy you can consume Yep. So yep. yeah, know how it fits into the big picture. So that's I'm sure right. you, you, I'm sure you know, yeah. and you know how to manage it. So that's great. I do. I I've managed, but you know, I didn't manage too much over the holidays and, you know, just, it, it was, it, I knew that, you know, it wasn't like, um, Oh, I'm going to go crazy. It's just that those high calorie foods, you know, they're not, they're low volume, high calorie and easy to, easy to over consume calories that way. So and yeah. it's okay. I want okay. to mention yes. this, I think this it's okay. little bit. I, I know that we're we're over the time limit, but I, <laughs> okay. I wanted to mention this that maintenance of, of body weight, for example, it doesn't have to be a right on the money thing. Like you didn't mm-hmm. fail if you gained two pounds or lost two pounds. Because I, I think that a, like a two to three percent fluctuation of, mm-hmm. of body weight through the year. Yeah. Um, is is fine. It's perfectly fine. It the where it st- where it can become a problem is if you gain two to three percent every year on top of, oh, of year. Right. So, but a fluctuation two to three percent in one direction or the other through the, through the course of a year it's is is fine as far as maintenance goes. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I needed yeah. to hear that. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to keep adding pounds every year. <laughs> right. But it's been interesting for me because after surgeries um, and just allowing my body to heal and giving everything it needs, um, I haven't 
I haven't um, been in a calorie deficit at all, just watching it, making sure I'm getting all the nutrients that I, that I need. Uh, but then, you know, well, that was in the late part of August and then we headed into the holidays. So I had let, I let some of this extra, extra few extra pounds come on. Um, it wasn't like I was unaware, you know, it just mm-hmm. was what it is, what it was. And I was still very mindful, still doing my training, still keeping my routine for my exercise, but it crept up and, and it was like, you know what, this is going to be kind of cool. I thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> the last month of the year, I was like, oh, I'm in my bulking phase. That's all. I'm just in my bulking phase. So I'm going to really hit the weights hard. And that way, when I do my, my deficit in January, I've got more, like more that I can show that you can lose weight. You know, and I think in fine. my mind, I was thinking that I'm like, it's okay that I'm going to gain extra weight because I'm going to show everybody that this is science and this is mm-hmm. how, this is how you do it. This is how you lose it slowly over time. So anyway, thank yeah, you for saying that. I think it's important mm-hmm. that people realize that it's not right on the money. It's you're going to fluctuate and that scale mm-hmm. fluctuation is normal throughout the year. A little, absolutely, you know, yeah. a few pounds Ma- up maintenance, and Maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Is, is, a, is a dynamic thing. Yeah. 100%. Alan, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate you coming on here for our listeners. Tell us real quick while I, before we say goodbye, where can we find you? Alan Aragon, tell us all the places we can find you and, and tell, yeah, you, you do that. AlanAragon.com. That's where you can find all my stuff. Um, uh, let's see. You're on Instagram. I am on Instagram. probably, well, my, yeah, my biggest audience is, is Instagram and my, my username throughout all my social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook is, is, well, actually Facebook wouldn't really count for that, but on Instagram, it's the Alan Aragon and on Twitter, it's the Alan Aragon and, um, probably I'm probably most active on, um, Instagram and then Twitter. Twitter is a an, an odd place. It's really frustrating to only be able to <laughs> type out like two sentences at a time. I don't know how people yes. can stand it. No. I don't know how people can get into arguments on Twitter where you have to break up your 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 oh, thoughts like that. It's I'm just not insane. there. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah. But with Instagram's TikTok, I've seen you. I kind of seen you dabbling with oh, TikTok. Man. That's a whole different animal. Uh. I don't even know. I know it's like so strange. It's not as, it's not the social connection. It's not the social interconnection that Instagram has. It's just a different thing. It's a different platform altogether. Some people take off. Some people just really blow up on TikTok, but I don't, I don't (laughs) know if I have the bandwidth to, I know know, what you mean. I do. I get it. I love Instagram for some reason. That's where I kind of live. I just live on Instagram too. So me too. Me too. Me too. I I turn on TikTok. I just see, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to push. I don't know what the algorithm is trying to push at me. (laughs) I know. And you, and you get interested in one strange video and then you're going to see 10 more later. It's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) It can't be that good. Yeah. Well, Alan, I also just want to tell our listeners that please go follow Alan on Instagram Alan Aragon, and you can follow his wife, Gina. She's beautiful, amazing. And they're training. Those are her parents, right? Yep. She's training her parents to strength train. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. So inspiring just to show that it doesn't matter what your age is. 
it's great and very important to be strength training. So thank you, Alan. Thank you for your time. Thank your family for letting you do this with us and, and tell them we love them too. So, uh, well, well, we love you too, Anna. And thank you so much for being you. And thank you for <laughs> doing such an amazing job the for best. the, the, for the community. Absolutely. My pleasure. Happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs> Bye-bye.